welcome everybody to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin. I am your host. This week's episode is with Katie Miller. She is the founder and product creator at Lily and Pine. They're a local Quad City company. They're a cruelty-free vegan bath and body brand. They also design products for other brands and individual entities through private label and contract manufacturing products. She is diagnosed with ADHD. We got into talking about that. We started off by talking a bit about our families, and we have some connections as far as how we know each other, which we didn't even know until after we met, which is always cool. Small world type of situation. We both went to the same private schools growing up and can relate on that level and we're also both in recovery so we talked about that she got a chance to talk about motherhood she has a daughter and we talked about how hurt people hurt people empathy relationships and how her business got started so a lot to unpack here great episode we got right into it didn't even do the intro till like halfway through the episode which i'm doing the intro now katie miller awesome guest and this has turned into an awesome friendship as well so i hope you enjoy this episode with katie miller I was a journalism major, so yeah. I I always loved interviewing people. I we always had um, my parents built. We didn't have a lot of money, and none of our friends city, you know, just little Catholic families. We spent all of our money on our education, you know. Yeah. So like, not a lot of like disposable income, like for a lot of us. So my parents built a bar in our basement and then a toy room. So like, we were kind of like a bar slash nursery, and I used to love to leave the nursery. And just go sit at the bar and interview drunk people, like from the age of six on, and they will tell you stuff. And oh yeah! So that I think like access to drunk people at a young age helped me get very curious and want to know everything about people because I was like everybody's interesting. I've I've met very few people who aren't. Hey, you listener, are you listening on Apple or Spotify by chance? Have you left a review of Modern Day Overthinker? Be really cool if you did. Katie and I talked a lot about our grandparents, and we wanted to not disclose certain things, so I edited it a little bit, but back to it. So my grandma, um, that grandma in particular, I loved to ask her questions. You know, I would just get them one-on-one at the table, and I, I highly recommend you interview Grandma Strajak because one of, if there's something I wish I could do today that I can't do today, is to ask a ton more questions of my grandparents. I've been... Not in a podcast format, but I've been getting more one-on-one time with her. Because before, I mean, she was married for 60 years at least. 
and her and my grandpa were always together. So whenever I visited, it was both of them. So once my grandpa passed away, I go over there, and obviously it's just her. So it's one-on-one, me and her. And I realized, not until he passed away, I never spent time with my grandma one-on-one, like, ever. Grandparents are fascinating. We write them off as these people who just give us five bucks here and there, but, like, they're fascinating people. They were once us, actually. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're going to be them. And I hope somebody has some questions for me when I'm old. Yeah, and... Yeah, there's so many questions, and um, sometimes I don't even have to ask them, which is awesome. <laughs> so she'll just start sh- sharing stuff with me, which is awesome. And yeah, I've learned a lot about my grandma just in the last couple of years that I had no idea, and learned a lot about my grandpa too because she's um, was able to tell me some things that because my grandpa wasn't. Uh, he was talkative, but he was a very He's like me, where he used humor as a deflection all the time. And he was very dry and, like, blunt. And uh, that was, like, he had a lot of, like, random sayings and things that he said. And so I never really got to know him on a personal level just because. Isn't that amazing? That's just the way he was. deflection can work? He deflected. He was the king at it. He was so good at it, um, and he was because and he was so funny. It was like, <sighs> like, uh, yeah, he was just he had been doing it for so long. It was just natural to him. I will have a another opportunity, I'm sure, to talk about my grandpa more, but wanted to focus more on Katie, so edited a little bit more out there. All right, back to it. If you talk to you know most people just in America just will keep it that small, which is not that small, but uh, one-on-one, like most of us get along pretty well. But if you look online or in the media, like we don't, it's like this whole division thing is just, it's blown out of proportion. Because scary gets attention. You know, I've told my daughter this when she comes home, because she's, uh, motherhood can be a little bit like, triggering and healing at the same time because whatever age they're at it takes you right back to when you were at where you were because you're trying to put yourself in their shoes and then you're in their shoes and you're like and you remember things and so um my daughter's a lot like me and she's precocious and she's mouthy and she talks like she's (laughs) talked like she was 20 since she was one you know and i was the same and so she um a lot of people want to put her in her place A lot of people adore her. Most people adore her. Like her and I are the same. 90% of people we meet, you know, have a strong reaction to us. And then 10% of us is like, I don't see what the fuss is. I want to take her down a notch. And so Mm -hmm. uh, she'll come home and tell me about who tried to take her down a notch. And I always say, okay, when you see that person, immediately turn your head away and go, where's my 10 nice kids? Because for every mean kid, there's 10 nice kids. So go find them immediately and surround yourself with them and go hang out with them and just forget about that one. Because that one is getting all the attention. And there's 10 really nice kids doing something fun. Go find them. Yeah. That's your job, Sadie. And that one person is... Hurting, I've told her. Yeah, struggling. I've said, you know, if you have to give that person space, give them space. But if you feel comfortable, you know, also maybe offer them 
some comfort, like, hey, that's not like you. You're having an off day. I'll check in with you later. You know, say something that makes you look vulnerable, like instead of cool. Like I try to urge her not to look cool with the bullies, like because even if they reject you outright for your compassion, they needed it. Leave it with them and walk away. (laughs) Go find those other nice kids. Yeah. Because if they're hurting you, hurt people hurt people. And so whenever you see someone say something hurtful, even if you're not safe to comfort them, like hold comfort for them because they're super hurt. Yeah, that's where we talked about empathy. And that's where that plays a big role because I, there's so many people that I should, uh, you know, I should hate or not like or that I don't even think about really because I'm just like, eh, well, <laughs> I would hate to be them. Oh, I think about that a lot with people who bother me, like yeah, just people like, who make me uncomfortable, especially. Yeah. There's people who put me at, at, at ease and people who put me on edge. Mm-hmm. And I know them right almost away right away. I know how I feel around them, and um, the people who put me on edge. I always think, God, what would it feel? I'm so grateful. I don't have to feel like that. Yeah, <laughs> I treat try to like bring that. people down. <laughs> that's that's suffering. Yeah, because I actually yeah, there was a person that did that to me, and it's still like in the back of my mind, like it's a it's a. It's a resentment. Um, oh, Colin, I've got lots. Yeah, and that I haven't worked on with my sponsor. Um, and uh, he does. He knows about it a little bit, but we haven't really worked on it. Yeah, uh, the rest of your natural life. Yeah, because it's a uh, it's a tough one. Because uh, they got me at a very uh, something that's really and you know besides the podcasting, I told you that I've done music and I've done music on and off since I was 16 and um, wow every time I think I'm done with it I'm like ah it's not done with you it's not done with me so it's like sit down I have something I need you to say out of your mouth for me (laughs) and everything every time I've done something it's been better each time it's like a challenge at this point I've been recording music on and off since I was 16 so I wanted to share with you how vulnerable I am when it comes to my music. But I also said some things I don't want to be public, so I had to edit that out. Sorry about all the edits, but back to it. This was a while ago, so I don't know where they're at now, but they attacked my a song there where I was very vulnerable, and they used that against me and tried to turn my friends against me. And... Uh, I, that, that brought me back to 16 year old Colin when I put out my first song where the whole Assumption High School roasted me for a week. (laughs) Assumption will, they're quick to roast me. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad, the song was terrible. It wasn't supposed to come out. It was a song I wrote for a girl to try to impress her and it leaked (laughs) to everybody because... One of her friends heard it, and she's like, oh, and she didn't like me. So, boom, it got out to the whole school. And I was like, so I've spent. Did that level you a little bit? Oh, it, it was bad. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and people didn't believe that this person that I wrote the song about felt the same way about me because she wasn't as open about it as I was. She also lived in another state and was two years older than me. It was a long-distance relationship and one of the many relationships I've had. I haven't had a lot of serious relationships. Like you were telling me that earlier about you, and I'm like, that's pretty I like to roll unattached. It's pretty close, (laughs) pretty close to home for me. Um, But that was one of the first times where I was like, where I felt something different Um, besides, you know, using drugs and things like that. But um, she, once things like didn't work out with us, next guy she married, that's happened to me a couple of times now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just like, I'm done taking chances. I'm just a trial run. Uh, (laughs) Just like. I don't really feel like it's important for people to hear about my past relationship and any of those details, so I cut that out. And also, if you haven't followed the social media accounts, you should do that. I'm on every single one of them. That'd be neat. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine recently just went back to like the the community where he was engaged um, okay. with like a long time, like they were together for like 10 years, lived together, um, very much smaller like, community, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. Where I, I just lived there for a short bit in AmeriCorps. Um, but anyway, so it was like almost like a Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn thing. Like you, they're married, whether they're married or not. And then like yeah. shortly before the wedding, um, she just wouldn't like do any of the things like he was like our weddings and like three months and your job was like save the dates like and now you're late on the invitations like we didn't what what's the deal and like had to make a call like and once once he was like we have to call this like all you you this wedding isn't happening and like you're actively like not making this wedding happen Mm. and so once he called it she was like oh i'm so relieved we can just go back to normal and he was like no i don't think we can and and so they went their separate ways and then it's like 10 years later they just this summer had breakfast because they were at like a friend's 40th birthday party. And he was like, I got to sit down with my possible future. And he's like, it was crazy. It was like the ghost of Christmas future. And he's like, I got so lucky. Like I was devastated. I was devastated. You know, that ruined his life. And he's like, it was still ruining my life until I had breakfast with her. And I was like, I think I'm good. I think I'm actually ready to move on now. (laughs) Like, isn't that crazy? Like to sit down with somebody, you're like that. I, this could be inside our home, like on a Saturday morning, but instead it's a one-off. All right. Here is the actual intro from Katie Miller talking about Katie Miller and introducing you to Katie Miller. Well, we never even did an intro. We just jumped out Right, I do an intro before anyway, but just so we can do a official intro where you do an intro, I will introduce you as Katie Miller. Easy name, thank God. I've had a couple complicated names recently where I just like you say your name because I'm going to butcher it. So thank you for having an easy name. Uh, and you are the owner of Lillian Pine. So tell us a little bit about you and also... 
your business a little bit, whatever you want to plug, uh, shamelessly. I don't care. Oh, no, I don't need to plug it. But it is kind of a cool story. Yeah, and how it started. Yeah, so I was, I just moved back to the Quad Cities, and I had interviewed with a company, a startup called Locals Love Us. And oh, yeah, awesome. I, I didn't really understand the concept, like, that it would be selling print ads, which I was not, I was not great at sales. And they knew that. They actually didn't hire me from Chicago. And um, they were, uh, at the end of the interview, like, I blew it. They were like, you had us, you had us, and then, like, you didn't close us. And I was like, what's closing? And they're like, yeah, I'm not in sales. You've got to close us. And I was like, "Uh, well, I'm pretty modest. I don't like to be a hard closer. And they're like, well, that's part of the job, so you're not hired. And then they kept in touch with me, though. They were like, hey, but you kind of stand out to us. Like, would you read this book? And we're going to check back in with you. And, And so they checked back in with me. I absolutely did not read the book. Like I heard the voicemail from my future boss, Chopper, and I went, I ran down the street to Barnes and Nobles in Chicago, read a few pages and called them back. I was like, great read. And, uh, and then they hired me <laughs> and I came back and I'm the, I'm the worst salesperson ever. Like nobody has ever t- taken a no better than me. Like I take no very well. Okay. I see ya. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, that was a good choice for you. Yeah. Like, uh, so I was terrible. It's like at Tommy it. boy where he's like, okay, well, Yeah. And like my, and I would come in like to our like work meetings the next day and I would talk about how I didn't get the deal, you know, and they were like, why not? And I'm like, cause yeah, it just, it didn't make sense for them, you know? And they were like, that's not your job. Like to, you're not a consultant, you're a salesperson. (laughs) So, So I was like really, really struggling. And I was, I was saying to a friend of mine, I was like, I am suffering in sales. I'm not good at it. And it's starting to hurt my feelings. And financially, this is just not good. Yeah. So she was like, what it's a you- real ego blow. Oh gosh. It, terrible. Like I've got hung up on a lot. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I thought I was just going to be a cheerleader for small businesses. I really didn't read the fine print mm-hmm. and that's part of having ADHD. I just kind of jumped in. Yeah. Um, cause I, I really love the concept and I thought it was this yeah. loud, colorful company, which I are, and I'm still a fan and still good friends with, you know, the, the owners. But so, um, I said to a friend, I was like, this is not, going well and she and i'm a big fan of find a mentor and be a mentor and mm-hmm. find a bitchy mentor you know that will put you in your place yeah. if you need one that's how i am so, about my therapist <laughs> so she's like what are you gonna do about it i was like oh nothing i'm just venting she's like not on my couch you're not like take some action do something i was like what could i possibly do like you know i had this idea that I was this learning disabled person with limited abilities. I thought I had amazing abilities at dive bars and dinner parties, but a limited role in society and mm. in the workplace. You know, that that was just not my strong suit was like the daytime, you know, arena of life. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was like, I don't know what better job I could get right now. I just don't. Um, and so she's like, well, what about this hobby that your mother-in-law started you on? My mother-in-law is this beautiful Mennonite hippie woman. And on my first trip to their their cabin in the mountains of New Mexico, you know, I, I just noticed she has beautiful skin. And I asked her, like, how she takes care of her skin. And she's like, oh, man, we would have put, like, anything on our face on the farm, you know, like single ingredients from the kitchen. Mm. So she gave me some recipes for products that she makes. And, um, I, she emailed them to me and I went home like obsessed and I, I would just stay up and try and make dupes of like really cool products. Mm -hmm. You know, just, I liked, 
I love the testing and I, I love the failure and the experimentation yeah. and I'm a big sensory person and I love the sense like the, I just loved textures and scents and all of that. I've always been into that. Mm-hmm. I found it very calming, very soothing, very exciting. And then she gave me a hundred bucks for Christmas, which they always do. And it was to do something fun with. And those recipes and that $100 bill was the seed money for my business. hundred bucks. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And now we like are a, a B2B private label manufacturer and a, and a, and a brand ourselves. And, you know, we do wholesale and, and it's blown up to this big thing, but yeah, it started with some handmade recipes and a hundred dollar bill. And I think that's pretty cool because I said to this friend, I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, make skincare products like an Etsy shop? Are you talking an Etsy deal? She's like, yes, do it. And I was like, my friends back in Chicago will be like, oh my God, Katie, first of all, she's sober and now she's making soap. Like, should we, should we reach out? Is she okay? Like do an intervention. She fallen off real hard. And, um, and they've all admitted, they're like, we absolutely thought that like, we can't believe that your business has grown to this because we were all like, oh man, like, She's not doing well in Iowa. She's not doing well at all. Like that is that's common with starting a small business because people just expect you to fail. <laughs> it's so easy to fail at a, it like, is really at, easy, especially at a bootstrapped. Like especially no, something... we didn't do a family and friends round. We didn't even go to a bank until year three. We bootstrap. It's me, my mom, and about twenty credit cards, and we bootstrapped the whole deal. And mm. no one's ever given even we didn't even get money during COVID because we had a slight spike producing hand sanitizer, but we gave all the money back to local businesses. So we showed a profit that we never took. And so we were not we didn't even get funding. Whoa. Uh so we've been like super underfunded, but we just my mom and I we were joking, we're like, we've tried to fail. We just can't. Like mm. you just can't buck us off. Uh, yeah. We have tried very hard to fail. And every day we're like, is today the day we shut down? Is today that do we shut down now? Is it time to shut it down? You know, and it just has never been the day to die. And then every time you're about to, you're about to shut it down, something happens. I'm guessing. Something, we get a weird email or a cryptic text and for a meeting and, and then it, it, doors just keep opening. Yeah. I know how that goes. Yeah. I, haven't, I think it's a cool story, but. That is a cool story because especially, yeah, percentage-wise, the odds are not in your favor. <laughs> no, our fifth anniversary, we were like, is it really? Fifth? We, yeah. can't, we can't believe it, you know. But So is the main portion of the business uh, B2B then and then or? I, I feel like um, now I'm just kind of using Lillian Pine to like support my b2b passion because you know that's also part of having adhd like i i don't like to do something for the thousandth time and like whereas the formulas that i've written feel like you know my creations i'm very attached to them i'm super attached to these formulas because i know the the 3 a.m failures that went into them Mm -hmm. and i know what it felt like to get them right and I know how they work for my customers, especially ones with serious sensitive skin issues. Um, so I'm, I'm very attached to them. But I, 
I feel like I can only spend so much time building products for my own brand. When I get to sit down with someone like Phil Young at Fleet Feet and say, what do you need, you know, and have his wife say, can you make me shower in a bottle? And I'm like, let me try, you know, and then I go and I'm like, can I make Jackie Young, you know, shower in a bottle? Well, sure enough, I can. And it's really taken off for them or like an anti-chafe balm, like not to keep using Fleet Feet, but I think because we're both from Assumption, like he's so funny. Do you know him, right? I know his brother more than I know him, but he is funny. Yeah, he just won his uh, second hundred mile ultra marathon. That guy's ridiculous. He's when part cheetah. Yeah, I'm sure. I want to see him and like the, all the Freshlies are like that. So uh, you know, is, if you know any of the Freshlies, I don't know if you know any of them. I I know of I know that name like super well. They're all ridiculously just Phil machines. Is Leslie Mitchell and my running dad. You know, okay. even though he's younger than us, so um, he. I gave him like a bomb uh, prototype and I was like, Phil, obviously as you tell us, don't try anything different on race day. So try this not on race day, but this is the one, this is the formula. That's it. And so he's like, so I tried it on my 50 mile run on race day. I was like, why would you do that? Told you not. Why to. would you do that? He's like, well I did. And it's awesome. You know? And so like that, yeah. that, that's a different joy for me than um, making something for myself or when I make something for a salon or I'm, now consulting with my first med client. Like I've never worked for a doctor before to make things that are prescription level. Mm. So I was like, I'm just a semi-scientist from Google. Like, I don't think you want me, you know? She's like, no, I, I do. Like I do. And so those things are extremely exciting to me. So, you know, that that's just part of the superpower of ADHD is you can get something in place, train people to do it. And I'm finding that, you know, I, I may have a limited role in society, but I have a powerful role in society. And as long mm-hmm. as I stay in my lane and use ADHD as a superpower, I can do some badass things with my mind, with my hands, you know, with my personality and with my, with my heart. You know, I, there's a lot I can do in the daytime arena of life because I have ADHD, not in spite of it. So when we were talking earlier, you were talking and saying like people don't really understand ADHD or generally speaking, people uh, do not, they put it in this category or this box where it really doesn't make sense. So can you kind of explain ADHD? Like how we were talking about how I did the video about OCD where you're like, oh, you broke it down so simply. Can you simplify ADHD the best you can? Yeah. So it's, it's an issue with your executive functioning. Okay. So whereas most people see things in a linear, organized path, something about the circuitry, which isn't easy to explain. Yeah. Um, the way that that works out, the way that the neurodivergent circuitry works in the brain of someone with ADHD, the way that it manifests is that you can look at chaos and see order and you can look... Um, you can look at things at a real macro level and, and nothing about that's overwhelming linear, like organize, like reading a set of instructions is very overwhelming to me, Mm -hmm. but looking at something very chaotic and busy and wild is where I'm like, no, I, that I can deal with, but to sit down and read a simple email sometimes I'm like, my brain fights it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how, and there's subtypes as you talked about, like, yeah. 
I'm not the only one with ADHD in my family, but I'm the only one with my kind of ADHD. My mm. father and I both have it. You know, he, he was later diagnosed, like as I was getting diagnosed, they, they were like, well, that sounds a little bit like Steve. But I try to talk to my dad and bond with him over ADHD and we don't relate at all. Not the same. His is different. You know, so it is really just a, it's probably something like autism. It's a class like a spectrum of neurodivergence. Yeah. And I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one day they just say, actually, ADHD is not even just a thing. We just didn't know what to do with these kids who couldn't follow simple instructions. Yeah. And um, that, that's one of my challenges is to simply explain something. I, I, it's hard for me to do. Yeah. I get that. Okay. The best way I can explain it is like things that come, the simplest thing in the world to somebody else is the hardest thing for me and vice versa. And it makes other people look strange to me and I look odd to others. Yeah. And I'm fine with that today. Yeah, I'm really grateful for it today. You're comfortable with that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I've said it's the experience has been like every day. Disney princess story I've ever seen. Like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable in my natural habitat. Like I don't fit. Like I don't know my role in society, but it's like, oh, but you're the, you're the adventurer. Like, why do you care? You know, it took me, I would say up until age 40 to go, why do I care? Yeah. You know, but I wish I could go back to first grade. Cause that is a young age to be identified. So it's like, I may have a subtype, but I have a strong type because mm -hmm. when I hear kids who are like, oh, I wasn't diagnosed till college. I'm like, how did you pass by without no one noticing you were different? Like, what, how did you don't have it like that? Like, I'm, I'm always kind of like yeah. a little bit uh, arrogant. Like, no, I'm OG ADD. Mm -hmm. Like all of you say you have it. Very few of you do. That's how I feel about OCD. So, yeah, the, none of you are like true. Like, I feel like true OG gangster ADHD. Mm, yeah. I didn't make it far into first grade without them going, what? <laughs> End of sentence. So it's crazy that you and I both went to JFK. Yeah, that's rare. I don't meet a lot of OG JFK people. Jail for kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had to explain jail for kids to Leslie. That was fun. Uh, she, I, I just said JFK, and she's like, what is that? I was like, you betting our people don't live in your own world. And I... Uh, yeah, JFK was just such a, it was just a bunch of, uh, I don't know if it was like that when you were there, but when I was there, it was such a variety of wild card people. <laughs> I've sort of always felt like we were table 33 at the <laughs> wedding, you know, like just we were the kind of the nerds of the Catholic school community, like holy family and lord's kid well i mean they were all cooler than us but i like yeah. that i've always been a fan of the underdog and i sort of felt like we were socially the underdogs which let me ask you this question when you went to assumption which kids besides jfk kids did you gravitate to more i separated from the jfk pack entirely okay but which holy family Oh, okay. Mine was St. Paul's. I I love those St. Paul's. They were kind of in that. <laughs> they were weird. They didn't know what the big fuss was about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were weird. I, mean, I had a couple that I was close to, but you know, I, I obviously I gravitated towards the most exciting groups and those were the Holy Family Girls, the West Side Girls. Yeah. The Holy Family Girls were always the partiers. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an obvious choice. Yeah, I get that. I wasn't a partier at first in high school. I kind of switched. Uh, I started off like going into high school. I was like, I didn't avoid drinking or avoid partying because I thought it would be a problem for me. I avoided it because of I was this good Catholic kid and I wanted to be a priest. I wanted to be a priest for a small part of time. Before must I must have been something in JFK because my older brother did too. Yeah, before I discovered that I was attracted to women and that I couldn't get married. They don't mar- like you to know that. And then I couldn't <laughs> then I couldn't get married and that was off the table completely as soon as that, as soon as I had my first romantic encounter of any kind, I was like, Oh yeah, I can't be a priest now. Um so that was quickly off the table. But yeah, I don't know why that was uh I went into I went into high school thinking like I was like not gonna do this, I'm not gonna drink, I'm not gonna have sex, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that. Me too, man. And Look then, at us now. We did great. <laughs> and, then, and then it was Killed just like it. and then it was just like uh then it got to the point where it was like I haven't done this yet, at least. So there's that. And then it was like I kept lines kept crossing and yeah. I'm not and uh, I could make a joke about lines, but I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> um it just kept crossing lines like, Oh, I'm not gonna do that though. At least I haven't done that. I'm not that bad, you know. And justifying and that got really bad, you know, in my addiction. And then it got to the point where I was just like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And when, yeah, and I put my, I put my family through a lot. I put my parents through a lot. And I just realizing what I had done. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but put myself through so much shit that. And I knew I was holding myself back, and I hated that feeling. And I finally was just like, "Yep, it's got to throw in the cards. Got to start. I got to start over." And that sounds exactly right to me because I still, I still remember meaning it. Like if I would have been hooked up to a lie detector test, I would have passed it. When I said to my mom. You know, she was like, hey, you're about to go to Assumption. You're going to have chances to party and stuff. And I was this JFK kid, and I planned on staying a JFK nerd. I was like, this is my comfort zone. I'm cool with this. Um, Because I wasn't even all that popular at JFK. You know, I was like, (laughs) so I definitely wasn't, I was planning to stay in my lane at Assumption. But when she talked to me about partying and boys and all that stuff. And I remember saying to her, I was like, mom, you met me. Like I'm crazy without booze. Like I don't need booze. Like it will, I hadn't tried it. So I didn't know it was like a lock and a key that like fixed every problem ever. And it was like this, um, it was basically for, just for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, perfection in my head, but, um, I meant it when I said it. And of course I was like, I'll sign anything that says I'll wait till marriage, you know, just all those, yeah. the Catholic kid promises. And I meant them. I meant them. I really did. But, um, you know, my experience at JFK, it's crazy. Cause when I do walk down those hallways, like it's, it's a heavy feeling. It's a very heavy feeling. I haven't been there in a while, but I can imagine, you know, and I actually, this last time when I was there doing a girl scout badge um activity with my daughter i was there with my daughter and i and i've told her she knows i was the girl in the hallway in first grade for most of most of the time i was either nose in the corner or desk in the hallway 
And, you know, I've told her that because she she looks to be on team ADD, ADHD, potentially, yeah. potentially. So I just want her to know, like, hey, these things work out. No matter what happens, these things work out. But her and I walked past the, the spot in the hallway. You know where the first grade classroom is on the first floor, the lower level? Right when you come down the stairs to the lower level, to the right? Is it to the right or the left? Oh, well, when you're coming from, like, well, actually, now it's They might have moved some stuff yeah. around. So it's it's the first classroom on the north end of the building okay. at the lower level. Okay, like I know that, what you're talking that about. That room I know is, like, a very important okay. place that I got still, my first demerit there, yeah. Demerits! Oh, my ah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Demerits, okay. Yeah. So, like, even up until this morning... That classroom that. is still impacting my life. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it's the most impactful thing in my life was first grade. And um, so I, I walked, I showed my daughter the spot where like, this is where my desk was. And this is where I was told, put your head down. Don't talk to anybody. Don't bother anyone. But basically just don't be in the classroom because you're unhelpful. And we can't. Distracting. Very distracting. And, um, and when I look at that spot, like it's still. I had a friend like that. He's a doctor now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it still chokes me up. But today, the difference is I'm grateful for it. But that destroyed me. That destroyed me because um, I was so excited to go to kindergarten. I, I saw my brother get to go to this like exciting brick building every day dressed like a little Bible salesman. And <laughs> I thought it looked very cool. And so. Um, he would bring home these yearbooks and I memorized the yearbooks. And so when I came in, like I said, my daughter and I are very precocious people. So I came in like, Hey, Hey, like I knew all the, everybody's name. And everyone was like, who's this little girl with a mullet? Like acting like she's my friend. But I was so excited to be there. And I, I, remember I, I saw Mrs. Vogel. Do you remember her? Oh yeah. <laughs> and I go, Hi, Mary. And she goes, that's not my name. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, and I said, Miss Wallig. And she goes, that's also not my name. And I was like, I'm not. This isn't oh, going well. This is man. not going well. Uh, not at all. And um, and so it, it was. But Miss Potoff, did you ever have Miss Potoff? I did not, no. Miss Potoff was But those my... other two I did I did know. And yeah. I had Miss Wallig. Did I did you not have Linda have Ricks? Uh -uh. Okay. So my kindergarten teacher was Miss Potoff and she was just like warm fudge. She was just so kind. And so she knew how to deal with me and she never made me feel different. She made me feel special, mm -hmm. which is exactly what I thought I was and <laughs> what I think I am today. Yeah, yeah. But my next teacher in first grade, um, I don't, she could have been going through a hard time because it turns out she's a wonderful person, wonderful person. But she, it was the 80s and she was well within her rights to say katie when you practice cartwheels in class that is distracting or every time i turn my back if you're telling somebody a joke that's distracting and that regulation piece like the regul the executive here's the best way i can describe adhd is a way that my adult adhd like therapist put it to me she's like right or wrong your feelings are strong and your mind is a sports car. So whether you're moving in the right or wrong direction, either way, you're getting there fast. Yeah. So oftentimes I would hear her say, stop talking to the other kids. I would hear that for two seconds. But the in 
intrusive like um, impulse to do it again would rise before my judgment would. And mm. so often it wasn't even like a wrestling with myself. I would get myself in trouble before I even knew how I got myself there at that age. Now, as I grew older, that's where they say some people can grow out of it. Mm. You can learn to cope with it. But when your brain is still soft and you're just a five-year-old, yeah. six-year-old idiot, you know, you do not have the composure to manage a strong case of ADHD. So she would put tape around my desk and the rule was, if you go outside these tape lines, you will carry your desk out to the hallway. Oh. And so I can still remember the feel of that desk, like hitting my little legs and like the embarrassment and people would snicker and be like, you did it again. And, and my brother, they call it, they always, we joked goofus and gallant from highlights magazine. Guess who was goofus? Yeah. My brother was gallant. I was goofus. And so he was like the trusted servant that always got to take the coffee cups down to the teacher's lounge. Uh, and rinse what's the age difference? Uh, two and a half years. Okay. And he's, he's one of the best people I've ever met. I love my brother, Eric. He's awesome. So he was always sent on like these errands because he could be trusted to come yeah. right back and not mess around. Yeah. He could never have sent me. I was not coming back. <laughs> I'd be halfway to California if he yeah. sent me on an errand. Yeah. So uh, he would always see me out there, Colin, and he would go, he, was, he would oh God, I can still hear him. He'd be like, oh sis, what'd you do now? And I would look at him and be like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just here. But at some point, what happened to me out there was first it hurt and I would, I, I can still just like, I don't remember what it was like. I just remember having a feeling of I helplessness. Like, I don't know what I did. I wish I hadn't done it. I can't mm -hmm. seem to help it. I really wish I hadn't done it though. Cause I didn't mean to hurt the class. I didn't mean to do this. And at some point though, I kind of was like, you know what happens? You're like, well, fuck you. Like, I can't even, I don't know what I'm doing that's making y'all's life so hard. But apparently, like, we'll be best going our separate ways. So actually, I'm not sure what's so bad about being out here. Those idiots have to sit and listen. I get to do whatever I want. And I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not even going to sit. Yeah. I would just get up sometimes and then I'd get in real trouble. But yeah, yeah. anybody who was walking by, I lifted my head, what's up? You know, I talked to everybody out in the hallway <laughs> and I also got to do something that was very helpful for me. I just got to daydream and I got to wonder yeah. and I got to be exactly who I am and nobody was interfering with me. When the bell rang, I got to just move on. And there was a moment then when I became that that's who I became and I'm still the girl in the hallway. And the way that that manifests was like, so I don't have to do what they have to do. You, you always have to, if you're finding yourself in a helpless situation where it looks like you're against the odds, your brain will find a way to negotiate to, to work it out in your favor, especially if you, if you have ADHD. Your brain will scramble quickly to make sense of something and to make good of something. So it was like, hey, hooray. Like, you don't have to kind of one like you're, I figured I was an exempt person. So even up until like when I was 30, I, I didn't think I had to pay taxes. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm not a hallway kid or I'm a hallway kid. People would always say like, Katie, are you ever going to settle down and have a kid? I'd be like, why? I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I have to? I don't have to. <laughs> I don't a, have to do like what a, you do. Yeah. And so like even the first time I got in trouble, like with the cops, you know, through just like impulsive ADHD behavior, mm -hmm. all of my friends were giving their real names. I was like, they're idiots, those classroom kids. 
you know, and like I gave a fake name and got like an extra $500 obstruction of justice charge. I couldn't, and I will still remember the feeling of those cuffs on me. And I was like, this can't be happening. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not like someone who's subject to the law, sir. Like, yeah, I live in the hallway. I live in the hallway and I have acted like I live in the hallway my whole life. And it wasn't until moving back home, getting into recovery. It was like, I never thought, I never thought about being in the hallway until like the day I got sober. It was like the day I got sober. I was like, Oh God, remember that. And it like destroyed me all over again, destroyed me all over again. And I sat with that and I thought, Oh gosh, like all the pain of like really wanting to be in the classroom came back and it leveled me all over, all, all over again. And I didn't really know what, what to do with that. And it wasn't until these last few years where it's the thing that I am the most grateful for. If I can find a place for myself in the classroom as somebody who is different, you know, just because I'm different doesn't mean I need to be in the hallway. Yeah. Maybe if I don't know how to manage myself, I will be sent to the hallway still to this day. Yeah. But if I can, if I can have the self composure to to use my differences to be a value, which I have found ways to do. I have a very, very special place in that classroom. And it's some, it's a, I've told myself, I don't care about other people. I don't want to be with them. Like, because I got hurt, I got rejected. Mm. So of course you never want to go back to the people who rejected you. And you're like, please, please take me. me, Yeah. Except me. You're like, I'm better than you guys. I said, I can look down on the world from the gutter. And I have most of my life. And the, the humility of saying, I still actually want to be in the classroom very badly. I don't want to be out here by myself was an important moment. And to sit with that hurt long enough to say, okay, so then how am I going to make this work? You know, it was like, it took a lot of courage to kind of even just admit to myself, I want to be in there and I'm going to find a way to do that. And I have. That, That's kind of like being a functioning member of society. Is that what, that the... To, to be a functioning at the classroom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like do well, it just the mainstream and mm-hmm. um it my I, I was lucky to have parents who you know, especially my mom, the minute that I was diagnosed with ADHD in first grade, um, you know, of course I was really dramatic about it. I didn't understand what it was. So I went to school the next day and I told my friends I was dying of ADHD and, um, you know, I had this disease and my mom, you know, was right away like an immediate advocate. You know, she would have been an influencer today for like ADHD moms. Mm. She started support groups. I was like interviewed on the news three times. You know, we were like kind of spokespeople a little bit for it. Mm. And, you know, this is where if, if anyone is listening who has ADHD or has kids who have ADHD, um, one of the most important things you can do for somebody like that is just put a seed of hope in that kid. Because what it is like to have ADHD is to have like a super fertile ground for your mind. So a negative seed can take off in a feedback loop. Yeah. And build and build and build and build. And so, it, it's taken me even up into my 40s to realize, hey, I have to be super careful what thoughts I plant in my head. Mm-hmm. 
Because the good news is, and this is what I love about being me, and I've always loved this about being me, is that a really positive thought can take off quickly too mm-hmm. and build. And that's an asset. That's something that I bring to team meetings. Yeah. That's something that I bring to relationships. That's something I bring to the grocery store clerk that I'm talking to, is that I have the ability to build something at like hyper speed at hyper volume in a way that other kids can't. And I really wish I hadn't spent most of my life really resenting the way that I was different. Mm. My mom has told me from day one, this is a superpower. I want to be clear about this. There's liabilities in this, but you are special. You, there is something so good about you because of this, not in spite of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sorry, mom, I, I really do wish I would have believed you in real time, but I didn't, you know, no kids are supposed to believe their yeah, moms in real time. Yeah, because she didn't have it. But so, she, But she understood it, but. I've said I always suffered high self-esteem because of my mom. Like she would, I would come home and say like, oh, I got a C on a test. And she'd be like, but I know you did your best. And I'm like, no, I didn't. You know, and she, she, <laughs> no, like, I, didn't. I couldn't convince her that I wasn't good. I could not convince my mom that I was as bad as I thought I was. She's never believed that. And I'm so lucky because if I would have had the kind of mom who would have uh, been hypercritical, which it's easy to do. It's easy to be very frustrated with someone like me. Yeah. If I would have had that, you know, I, I don't even want to know where I'd be today because yeah. I know kids like that. My mom spoke very, very highly of your mom as well. My mom's like an award-winning human being. Uh, yeah. And I've said, like, when I tell my story, the hardest thing from my childhood is growing up in a family full of nice people. Like, I'd be like, let's gossip or do let's something. And they'd some be shit. like, no, that's not right. I'm like, you guys are nerds. Yeah, you guys are boring. <laughs> no, my mom is, yeah. she, you know what people love about my mom, though? And thank you, Leslie Strajak. My mom said very kind. She's like, she's the best. She's <laughs> the best. Um, well, what people love about my mom is that she actively scans for the good in people. Like she's on like a tear for the good Mm -hmm. and she sees it in people and people felt seen. And so I, I love walking around like, especially somewhere like St. Ambrose with my mom, because I love when someone catches that they just spotted her and the way they light up because they just have to run into my mom and they're reminded of the good in them. That's the kind of the impact she has on people. And I, how lucky was I yeah. to grow up neurodivergent with a mom who's on a tear to see the best in people? Yeah, that's very important because, yeah, and I've had to remind myself of that many times of, I don't know what I would have ended up with. I don't know if I would still be here if it wasn't for my upbringing because, yeah, dealing with me was not fun, I'm sure. Um. Yeah. Have a kid, you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not in a hurry to do that. Thank God. Uh, which I thought I was for a while. I thought I had to be like. I thought I was a f- not a failure, but I thought. And sometimes it, I catch myself comparing myself to other people a lot, especially because of social media. Uh, I talked about that with my podcast cast earlier as well. Um, but just people thinking that they have to have like this, a lot of people my age and they're either in their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, I said, I said it to her 
I find it more common in women because they feel like they have to have this, there's like this window where they have to get married and they have to have kids and they like they will settle to be with somebody to fit that window because all their friends are getting married and all their friends are having kids. And I've honestly felt that way. I felt like an outcast. Hormones are a strong messenger. Yeah. And I felt weird as a man, like being single in my thirties, I am in, 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 and in the Midwest, I feel I'm, I'm the weirdo, which I, which I don't say weirdo in a negative way anymore. Um, I haven't in a long time. I every one of your friends who has kids is secretly jealous of you. I know that now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I thought about that the other day. <laughs> um, just randomly, I'm like, I just talked to one of my friends who just had a kid, and they would love to Airbnb your life. Yeah, just to like you should visit, rent out your life, just to visit for a while. Yeah, I mean, they love their kids. Yeah, to be clear, they uh, want to go home to them. Yeah, they want to go home to their they kids. Love one they would love a vacation. <laughs> Yeah, just they want to be a podcast comedian person doing what you do, just doing whatever I want, whenever I want. It's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, I was the last of my. I mean, my friends' kids were like, I I, you. It's a an amazing age difference between my kid and my friends' many kids, and you know. But here's where like I loved. Now I know that all the best things in my life come from the character that was shaped in that hallway in my little soft noodle brain at the time, you know, it really took hold and took made me shaped into the person that I am. Because I, I remember kind of feeling like when people in the Midwest, especially would talk about kids, cause I didn't always live in the Midwest. And I, Mm -hmm. even in my years in Chicago, it's, it's different than, here. Oh yeah, Chicago's um, like its own little world. It's weird. Yeah, it's that worn out town. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, so, but all of my friends, like uh, from the East Coast and the West Coast, would say well, they would just make fun of me. You know, like that I was like from Farm Fourteen, and I was like a hundred years late having my babies and stuff like that. And yeah. I remember one of them. We were just in at breakfast, and it was quiet. And they're like, "Do you hear that sound? Like, tick, tick. Anyone hear that tick, tick?" like no one hears it kevin he's like oh it's katie anderson's biological clock going crazy she's 25 from iowa no kids that's all it was and like i was like that's accurate like all my friends are getting married but i remember not feeling entitled to that like i remember and i remember thinking it looked entitled for people to say i'm gonna have three kids and their names are gonna be this i'm like are you single and they're like yeah i'm like i don't think this is your choice like i don't think you get to decide that like because you don't get to do that by yourself so i remember when people would say like are you gonna have kids i would always deflect by saying i didn't do anything wrong i i don't have to or that i don't think that's a decision i can make by myself (laughs) like yeah yeah you know, well, there are people. The person you there are people that are like, "I'm never gonna have kids." This is, and you know, they'll either stick to that or they won't. I used to be in in the category of like, where I thought, "Oh, I'll never have kids. I don't want to. That's too much responsibility. I can barely take care of myself." That was my mentality. Oh yeah, that, there was a lot of that. Don't don't get me wrong; it was self doubt. It came off as bravado, but I was also like, "Oh gosh, I don't even know if I could keep one alive." Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I don't think I can. You should not. I shouldn't even be driving a car. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, that, and no, that seems like, I do not want to be responsible. And yeah, I, I've already fucked my life up. I, this was a while back. So I don't want to fuck somebody else's life up. Like, I don't need to be responsible for another. <laughs> my best friend and I were like, we could not believe there was no like metal detector that went off as we left the hospital with our baby. You know, we're like, I can't believe we're pulling this off. We're, this is like the biggest heist ever. They're letting me leave with a human. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but I, I, I wasn't, pro- I felt like when people would ask about my plans, like people always want to know your domestic plans in the Midwest from a young age. They want to know what are your intentions for your domestic life? How are you going to yeah. add to this community? Kinda? Yeah. Yeah. And I never had a good answer or one they liked. And um, I just remember. <sighs> Can't drink water. <clears throat> I remember feeling just like I'm, I wasn't promised a kid either. Like one, I don't feel like um, I should just get to have a kid because I want to. I remember feeling like, do I even under all that bravado was a lot of what you said, like a lot of self doubt. Like, I don't think that's a a business I should be getting into. It's a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility. And I'm somebody who's easily distracted, not because I don't have an attention span, but I have too much of an attention span. Everything I'm paying. My head is grand central station and a kid's needs will get lost in it. That has never happened to this day. Thank God. Well, five years so far, so good. But mm-hmm. um, I, I also then when I did decide, like, yeah, I think, I think um, this is right for me. I, it didn't happen, and that was that was a little bit devastating. You know, it, I, I look at my. I was just looking at her today, and I'm like, I was not promised this kid. In fact, I was kind of told, you're not going to have a kid. This isn't going to happen for you. Oh. It was, you know, it wasn't like the hard-fought battles that I've heard other people have had, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, like, when you think you're broken. Yeah, you think it. And then especially even, like, when I I saw that that little line turn pink, I was like, oh, I'm not broken. But I was like, uh, I had trouble getting here. Is she safe in here? Like, you know, that was a whole, like, um... (laughs) <laughs> a lot of moms will tell you that like all my girlfriends talk about this. Like we went from being these fun girls falling off bar stools to why are we the most uptight bitches we've ever met? Like when did we become so uptight? Yeah. Why, why, why are we talking about this stuff? Why aren't we talking about more interesting things? We noticed that like in the first six months after you have a kid, mortality is like your favorite thing to think about because you're keeping someone alive and you never had to do that before. Yeah, And so it it was from a mental health point of view, I had never, I, I either didn't know that I'd ever experienced performance anxiety because I had such self-doubt, like I'm a girl in the hallway, I'm not helpful to society and it functions better when I'm not in it. Mm. There was an incredible amount of anxiety. Like, so how am I who is, when it, when, Things have to get done. They're like, it's better if you're not part of it. Where do I get off thinking I can raise someone? Like, the, the, it gave me incredible anxiety just from like a mortality point of view. Is she safe in here? To when she was actually born, like, do I have anything to offer her? Mm. Am I, is my being her mother going to be a liability? Because I, I've always thought of myself as learning disabled. I'm so glad we don't really use words like that anymore. Yeah. You know, 
neurodivergent is fine for now. We'll stick with that. But it sounds really scientific, though. You, you know, know, but it's just yeah, you are you are different. You're not less. And I do not like when I read things about ADHD that talk about like um, malfunctions. I don't like to see that word malfunction. Yeah. Or um, deficits or disordered thinking or um, like lower activity levels in certain areas of the brain. It's yeah. like, well, okay. Um, I, I do think it is, it is a difference and it yeah. is an, it is absolutely an asset. And I would challenge anybody who is neurodivergent in any way, find your superpower because not one of us, not a single person listening to this or not listening to this isn't on our hero's journey. If you're not on a hero's journey, it's just because you're unaware of it. Every single person is overcoming something. Mm -hmm. Everybody's on a hero's journey. And I just didn't know it. I thought I was just a loser. And a lot of us do. Yeah. We think we're just a loser who just better watch it. So we don't, you know, get in trouble for it. Mm -hmm. um, every single person, ask them, ask them about what's going on in their life. And you'll see the, the arc of a movie plot happening for them. That's a good way to end it. Cause I think we're over time. Okay. I'm going to stop the recording now. Okay. But thank you for being a guest. I really appreciate it. Go JFK. Go JFK. And kind of assumption. Crusaders. Just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. assumption.